And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. Hello everyone and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host as always, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I'd like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the show today. I hope everyone enjoyed our previous episode where we took a look at the space disaster epic Gorath. Uh, we're changing gears a little bit today. We're going to be jumping back to Ultraman, but not the TV show or any of the TV shows or even a movie. We actually have an Ultraman comic because we are taking a look at the second miniseries from Marvel comic, Trials of Ultraman. We're going to get into that, but we have a little bit of news first, so let's jump right into it. Up first, fresh off its limited theatrical engagement, Shin Ultraman is coming to Blu-ray here in the States, courtesy of Cleopatra Entertainment. Now, if that name is unfamiliar to you, don't feel bad. Uh, this actually represents Cleopatra's first tokusatsu release, as they normally specialize in independent films and horror films. No release date yet beyond simply spring, uh, and there's no word on special features or languages. Personally, I'm hoping to at least get uh, the Japanese and English language tracks like we got in the two nights of the theatrical engagement. More on this as it develops. Hat tip to my brother Jason, who was the first one to pass this information to me. Now, in more Ultra News, the online library service Hoopla, which uh, may get mentioned later on in this episode, well, Hoopla now has several Ultraman items available for your enjoyment. Now, in addition to the first Marvel comic series, Rise of Ultraman, which we covered back on episode 102, and Trials of Ultraman, like I said, we're talking about this episode, um, we also have on Hoopla full series of The Ultraman, which is the animated series, Ultraman 80, and Ultraman Nexus, as well as the Ultraman RB movie entitled Select the Crystal of Bond. Now, there's also the soundtrack to the Ultraman anime, which is available on uh, Netflix. I haven't listened to that soundtrack, but that's very interesting that they have a soundtrack up for, for that product. Now, Hoopla, of course, is the free library app which works with your local library card, so, uh, so be sure to check that out as long as your library is part of the Hoopla network. Uh, all you need is your library card, and you'll get a code, and they you log in, and then you get a certain number of free borrows a month, and there's books and comics and movies and TV shows and music. It's a, a really uh, wonderful app that uh, I use pretty much every month. Now, in even more Ultraman news, our previews catalog for the month of January 2023 has a solicit for what they're calling the Ultraman official softcover novel written by Pat Cadigan. Now, the solicit is pretty basic, uh, stating only, quote, a modern adaptation of the original 1960s Ultraman TV series, bringing the classic era of the iconic Japanese superhero to established fans and newcomers alike. Now, the novel's due in shops May 10th, uh, and so more on this one as I find out more, or I ended up with it in my hands, because I did order it. Uh, I do my comics monthly uh, order through DCBS, dcbservice.com, and you order through the previous catalogs I ordered this book. So if nothing else, once I get it in hand, I'll be able to give us some more information about it. Now, also in the January previews is the first issue of a new series from Dynamite Comics entitled Kong... The Great War. Now, this is set during World War II. I don't know much more about this series yet, nor which version of Kong this is based off of. Now, I did find a press release from July of last year indicating that Dynamite had a license based on the King Kong of Skull Island property from DeVito Artworks. Now, you'll recall, this is the version of Kong which was uh, came from the era Miriam C. Cooper estate. So, based on, you know, the book that Kong is based off of the original movie, all the, the kind of legal wranglings with that. Uh, now, this comic license was previously with Boom Studios. They did the uh, Kong of Skull Island 12-issue uh, series, so I can only assume it's that version. 
but it doesn't say anything in the solicit about whether it's the uh, Conga Skull Island or DeVito Artworks or anything like that. And again, more on this series as it develops. I don't even know how many issues it is. I just know it's it's number one. So I'm assuming it's, it's at least a series and not a one-shot. Uh, now, finally, in streaming news, the free ad-supported streaming service Stir, that's S-T-I-R-R, which is owned by Sinclair Broadcasting, has a dedicated kaiju channel. Now, channel 323 on Stir is programmed with 24 hours worth of kaiju movies, uh, what appears to be mostly Showa Godzilla movies, with episodes of the Super Sentai Mega Ranger filling in some gaps. Mega Ranger, of course, was adapted into Power Rangers in space here in the West. Uh, I'm a big fan of these oddball services. I use Tubi and Pluto and some of these other really uh, off-the-beaten-path, lower-level, free ad-supporting streaming services. Uh, I've not had much chance to mess with Stir yet. It's very odd. I I have an Android phone and a Google TV. I can install it on the phone, but not on the TV. So I'm a little, little, you know, confused by that. But, you know, the presence of a kaiju channel, that's a big incentive for me to check out a service. So I'm sure I will be checking that out. And uh, you might want to check it out, too, if you're also into uh, the free ad-supporting services. That's all I've got for now. If you have any news that you think would be of interest here on Earth Destruction Directive, go ahead and send it in, Directive at yahoo.com, and we'll talk about it here on the show. And if you do send something in, I'll be sure to give you credit. All right, I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and get right into the Trials of Ultraman right here on Earth Destruction Directive. Can you hear me now, Jimmy? Excellente. I've been waiting a long time for this. What was that? (sighs) Yes, Jimmy, I'll mention you. As you always remind me, I'm contractually obligated to do so. We good? All righty then. Let's get this promo started. Hello, kaiju lovers! I'm Nathan Marchand, a professional writer and raging nerd. You might remember me from the Kaiju Vision radio podcast. Well, during my sabbatical to the Monsterland Resort to catch some rays and drink a few blue Hawaiians, I was hired as the curator of the Monster Island Film Vault. So I figured I might as well use the opportunity to make a podcast while I'm at it. I'll critically and academically analyze films from the kaiju and tokusatsu genres, in keeping with my philosophy of film appreciation, and have fun along the way. Each episode will feature members of my rotating roster of guest hosts, chosen from Monster Island's tourists, including John LeMay, Daniel DeManna, Ben Avery, and Nick Hayden. We'll walk through kaiju film history, starting with the granddaddy of all kaiju himself, King Kong! Yes, we'll be chronologically examining the eighth wonder of the world's filmography, culminating with this epic rematch against the king of the monsters in 2020's Godzilla vs. Kong. Episodes will drop the second and fourth Wednesdays of every month. The first episode each month will be a full-length film discussion with the tourists, where I share these amazing films with both newcomers to the genre and veteran fans. The second will be a mini-sode on a variety of topics, starting with audio essays on classic Toho tokusatsu films. So join me and my intrepid producer, Jimmy from NASA, who miraculously survived the infamous war in space, as we embark on a new giant monster film journey starting September 2019. Check out our website, MonsterIslandFilmVault.com, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other fine podcatchers. The Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. How was that, Jimmy? What do you mean, it stinks? All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. Trials of Ultraman number one was cover dated May of 2021, with an on-sale date of March 17th, 2021. It costs $4.99 for 40 pages worth of uh, comics. Our cover is by Arthur Adams, and shows Ultraman being flanked by the monster Pestar, who is ready to put the big bite down on our hero. Now... Now, listeners may remember I gushed over the work of Arthur Adams way back in episode 31, where we discussed my first and still favorite Godzilla comic book, which is Dark Horse's Godzilla Color Special, which actually got Mr. Adams to sign a number of years ago at Heroes Con in Charlotte, which uh, is still pretty cool. So this issue has multiple stories in it. The main story, which doesn't have a title, so I'm simply going to call it Part 1, is written by Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom. Uh, The art is by Francesco Mana. 
The colorist is Espen Grindajern. I'm sure I'm messing up that name. And the letterer is Ariana Mayer. Now, those names should sound familiar if you listen to the previous Rise of Ultraman episode, because it's the same creative team that did the first series. So if you want some background, go listen to that one. Uh, as I said, it's the team is essentially unchanged. The cover artist uh, is different because uh, Mr. Adams does the covers for the entire series where he had a kind of rotating cover artist the last time, including Alex Ross on, on number one, of course. But uh, so this is our creative team and we're sticking to it. Uh, so the synopsis for part one goes a little something like this. In the aftermath of Shin Hayata opening the Kaiju Vault at the end of the previous series, the United Science Patrol, the USP, has gone public revealing themselves to the world, as well as changing their uniforms to a more cheerful bright orange. Shin and Ultraman, supported by Agent Fuji and Captain Muramatsu, continue to work together to defend the world from Kaiju, including Pestar, who threatens an oil derrick until Ultraman defeats him with the Ultra Cutter and then repairs to damage the drilling tunnel damaged in the battle. Back at USP, Executive Director Aud Morheim talks to Shin, advising him why she will not let him go public with his identity. Unknown to Shin, Morheim has also been speaking to a strange shimmering figure of light, whom she calls Sire. In the world at large, the reveal of the USP's activities is met with distrust and disbelief. Folks begin stockpiling non-perishable goods in preparation for the coming Kaiju Apocalypse. Even Shin's father distrusts the USP, arguing with Shin that Ultraman is nothing more than a stunt, which causes Shin to shout angrily that he, in fact, is Ultraman. But before this revelation can be discussed, Fuji calls Shin with an emergency. The long-lost Dan Moraboshi has been found and is being held captive. To be continued. Now things start out fast here in the opening issue with flashbacks of USP and monsters on page 2, and then Ultraman fighting a monster by page 6. Without the need to establish the world or the backstory which Rise of Ultraman would task with, trials can jump more directly into the action. Now, of course, we've not dismissed the repercussions of the previous series, but the opening of the Kaiju Vault, the elimination of K-Rays, and other changes to the USP being addressed up front as well. This setup's more to my liking as far as the USP as a benevolent public organization. I was not a fan of the USP as a shadowy, secretive group from Rise, while this seems more in line with the source material doing it this way. Naturally, I also was very happy to see a take on the classic USP orange uniform in this series. I don't mind the development of the public not trusting USP, given the rapid revelations of their activities, and frankly, the existence of Kaiju. That's a realistic touch from Higgins and Groom, especially, again, given the events of the first miniseries. I very much enjoyed how this was demonstrated, with folks standing in a long line at the grocery store watching YouTube clips of angry talking head newscasters, quote-unquote professors spouting conspiracy theories, and Kaiju apocalypse preppers. That seems pretty much on point. Now, Dan Moroboshi's return, which you'll recall was teased at the end of Rise, a big shout-out to longtime Ultra fans. Uh, introducing the series is one thing. Bringing him back to the present day, where Shin Hayata is Ultraman, and the USP is out there fighting monsters, that can only mean Ultra 7, a development with which I'm sure most readers would be more than okay, given how popular Ultra 7 continues to be. Now, additionally, we get a new mystery in the form of just who is Executive Director Morheim talking to? Hopefully we will find out more about that particular mystery soon. Art This Time Out is, as I said, by the same team as Rise. Uh, good from a continuity standpoint. Manda and Grundajern's works clearly manga influence, but not aping a specific manga style or look. I remember in the uh, early 2000s we got that a lot with Western comics where they're really trying to look like manga, and it really didn't work. Uh, you can't take an Eastern art style and make it a Western thing. Here, you can see the influences, but it's definitely, it's uh, it, it, it goes its own way. Uh, I find the artwork to be very clean and expressive. It's easy to follow the action sequences, and even the talking sequences are dynamic. Sometimes you get these really static talking sequences, and, um, you know, uh, Mana and Grundajern avoid falling into that trap. Now, overall, issue one of Trials of Ultraman picks up the ball, hits the ground running. You know, we get action, we get continuity, we get some new developments, a new mystery, and a strong cliffhanger. That's a good start to the new miniseries, as far as I'm concerned. All right, the second story in issue one is called From Rise to Fall. Our writers again, Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom. Our art is by Eduardo Ferragato uh, with colorist Marcelo Costa. I had a difficult time finding any other credits 
So if y'all out there know some other credits for these folks, please send them in. I, I'd really, I'm, I'm sure they have something. I just wasn't able to find them. Our letterer continues to be Ariana Mayer. And our synopsis is as such. A thousand worlds away from our Earth on a planet filled with kaiju, a young woman goes on a quest to rescue her young kinsman. When all hope seems lost, a strange sword falls from the sky. Using the blade, she fights her way through their enemies and make the pair make it back home. There we see that the sword's hilt is embossed with a gold Q, and we learn that it will somehow lead to the fall of Ultraman. Now this short's intriguing, mostly because I have no idea how this ties into either this story, the Rise of Ultraman series, or any of the previous backups. What is this sword, and who does it belong to? How will it bring about the fall of Ultraman? All these questions I hope will get answered in the future. But for now, it's a fine enough backup without much context. Art's a clean style, well-suited to an alien sci-fi story. Also different from the main story, so easily enough so it can be differentiated. It's alright. I think this is more a preview of coming attractions, so maybe this will mean more in the future. Uh, we also get in this issue a pair of uh, Kaiju Steps shorts with art by Gurahiru, who did the very similar Kaiju Steps uh, shorts in the first issue of Rise of Ultraman. Now, one of the shorts deals with USP's new orange uniforms and how they're a more optimistic look than the old uniforms. The other short explains how the USP no longer can use the K-Ray and must use other weapons from their arsenal. These are cute, with an art style very reminiscent of the Kaiju Steps web series, especially for the star Pigmon, who of course is a star on the web series as well. Uh, Higgins and Groom use a cutesy imagery to be pretty cynical about the USP. Um, to me, the main thing is here is that I really like Kaiju Step. Uh, <laughs> and my, my younger uh, daughter, uh, she just thinks they're absolutely adorable, all the little super deformed uh, ultra monsters and uh, ultra aliens on Kaiju Step. So I like seeing Kaiju Step. These are nice extras. Um, I, I would have liked to see them continue, much like in Rise, they're only here in this first issue, but it is nice for me as a fan of Kaiju Step to see that art style pop up in a different context here. So, so Trials of Ultraman number 2 had a cover date of June 2021, and the release date was April 21st, 2021. Now, now we jump down to 32 pages and 399, which is going to be the size and price point for the remaining four issues. Again, this was the same format that we got with Rise of Ultraman. Our cover, again by Art Adams, it features Ultraman tearing his way into a building to get the drop on what appears to be an armored team of mercenaries. Fun cover design. My favorite part of this is the use of scale. As longtime listeners of this show will know I always appreciated covers for Shogun Warriors and Marvel Godzilla, the use of scale to show the size of either one of the Shoguns or of Godzilla compared to normal-sized humans. Uh, I also like that on Monster Comics in general, so, I mean, it's a little bit different than how, like, Herb Trimpey would have done the cover to one of those Marvel books, but I really like the use of scale on a Monster Comic book like that. Our creative team's all the same people who did the first issue, so the unchanged from that. And our synopsis is as follows. Following from the last issue, Fuji informs Shin that Dan is being held in New Zealand and comes by to pick Shin up. Shin's father disapproves of him being Ultraman and scolds Fuji for being USP as well. At HQ, Captain Muramatsu briefs him on the situation. Dan is being held under a nightclub by a radical anti-USP outfit called the Joint Armed Disclosure Front, JADF, a loose-knit group who believes the USP manufactures kaiju for their own purpose. There is no combat team support available, and Ultraman advises Shin that he cannot use his power to battle humans. Muramatsu outlines his new plan, which seems a little outlandish. At the club, Fuji and Shin, dressed as partygoers, are able to sneak into the restricted area and find Dan after using one of Ide's high-tech tools. While the heat scan showed the room empty except for Dan, the USP agents find five armed men in the room with him. Dan continues to deny that the USP created the kaiju, and says, in fact, that he has no idea who these two people are. Still pushing, though, the leader of the JADF takes aim at Shin and fires, who changes into Ultraman to protect himself. Ultraman then protects Fuji and Dan from gunfire, but refuses to fight back, forcing a stalemate. The JADF men fall back, calling for, quote, it to be activated. Immediately, a kaiju crashes through the wall. Fuji radios for help as Ultraman fires his specium ray, Muramatsu responds that there is no kaiju signatures in the area, 
and as the smoke clears, it becomes plain that the still-raging beast is some kind of mechanical creation. To be continued. Now, sort of a change of pace here with no Kyodai hero stuff, only human-sized action. That's okay, as seeing Fuji and Shin do their thing as USP agents is always welcome. Now, the revelation of the anti-USP group's belief that the USP is somehow creating the kaiju ties in neatly with the paranoia surrounding the patrol as seen in the previous issue. The fact that the JADF possesses their own artificial kaiju, however, is an unexpected new development. I mean, the real kaiju are not enough of a threat that we need to create new ones? Eh, that seems kind of stupid if you're the JADF. But, hey, you know. We'll get to that. There are a lot of ways that this development can grow, but it's most assuredly an escalation of the threats facing USP and Ultraman, and that's good in your second series in a series of miniseries. Now, beyond these revelations, the issue is fairly thin on story advancement. This will be a pretty common and familiar refrain for a lot of readers of modern comics, but the cliched decompressed storytelling, which has become the de facto norm in the American comic book scene for the last 20 years or so, it's on full display here. In the case of a miniseries, I find this to be a little more tolerable, because it's only going to run a certain number of issues anyway, but it's still not my preferred comic spacing. Now, the art continues to be well-suited to the story. Standout moments to me in this issue were actually the KOTOR outfits worn by Fuji and Shin as they infiltrate the club. Uh, Fuji's cocktail dress is orange with black trim, naturally, and her miniature lightning gun bracelet looks like the perfect accessory. Now, Shin's choice of a slim-fit navy suit, a purple shirt, a red scarf, a red beanie, and red sunglasses is hilariously overwrought, all in an effort to protect his identity. There's not as much action this time out, being limited to the human scale, but Ultraman dashing this way and that to protect his friends from gunfire does in fact look very sharp. And it was amusing to see Ultraman save Dan Moroboshi while human-sized, because Ultra 7 did operate at human size a few times back in his series. All told, issue 2 does a good job of elevating the story and the stakes as a new threat in the form of the artificial kaiju is introduced. The whole thing reads very fast, but as a modern comic, that's not really surprising. Now, another strong cliffhammer makes me eager for the next installment, and we'll get right into it, because Trials of Ultraman number 3 was cover dated July 2021, with a release date of May 19th, 2021. Our cover, Art Abba, is again by Art Adams, and it features Ultraman battling the monster Aborus, as seen through the screen of an onlooker's cell phone. Great concept and execution for the cover, especially given the events which will unfold inside. Just too bad that Aborus doesn't actually appear in this issue. That, to me, is a miss, but... I'm willing to let it slide. As a standalone image, it's fantastic. Creative teams, all the same folks who worked on the last two issues. Our synopsis goes like this. Picking up again where the last issue left off, the human-sized Ultraman has been blasted by the robotic kaiju. Fuji has evacuated the basement, but the clubgoers upstairs are still in danger, while Ultraman warns Shin that his power is draining. Using the Ultra Cutter, Ultraman destroys the machine, grabs its unstable power core, and throws it into the sky, saving everyone inside the building. Afterwards, the JADF members are arrested, claiming simply that the robotic monster was a gift. Back at HQ, Shin speaks with Dan, who is distrusting of the USP, although Shin assures him that he himself has no ulterior motives. Specialist Ide determines that the robotic kaiju was created using methods derived from USP technology, with the most likely candidate being former USP agent turned tech billionaire Katsuhiro Kato. Where this Ide reveals this information, though, alarms Blair as Milan is under attack by the monster Gomera, forcing the USP into action. Ultraman limits the damage, but Gomera manages to retreat. At his office, Kato introduces the USP to his adopted children, Takeshi, Fumio, Ipe, and Yuriko, and tells, the S and tells the USP that they have been keeping tabs on Professor Nikaido, a kaiju conspiracy theorist. Kato and his team have intercepted a video Nikaido has created, inviting the world to come to Iceland to see proof that kaiju are an artificial threat created by governments of the world. And Nikaido has his own monster, Jiris, as proof to be continued. Here at the midway point, the big threat is introduced, and the story begins to upshift. We get more backstory in the USP history, and plenty of nods to longtime Ultra fans. Now, there is a bit of continuity here in this issue, which I completely missed 
from an earlier issue in this series. Back in issue 1, when we see the various videos which folks are watching about the kaiju, one of them is in fact Professor Nakaido espousing his theory that kaiju are a false flag operation created by the world's governments. In passing, it appears to be just another kook on the internet, but in retrospect, it's a very clever bit of seeding from Higgins and Groom to put Nakaido there in plain sight. Now, the name Professor Nakaido may ring a bell to Showa Ultraman fans, as that character appears in episode 10 of the original series, uh, the episode The Secret Dinosaur Base. And like that episode, Nakaido here has his own personal kaiju in the form of Jiris, best known for being, you know, Godzilla with a lizard's frill on his neck. The use of Professor Nakaido and Jiris is a great pull from the original series. The last page reveal of Jiris roaring behind a tiny Nakado in silhouette is fantastic. Uh, now, Nakado is not the only bit of old-school continuity here. Dan Moroboshi, when he's being uh, interrogated, is wearing a silver USP uniform, which looks remarkably like the Ultra Guard uniforms from Ultra 7. And then the character of Kato and his, uh, quote, adopted children are the members of the monster attack team from Return of Ultraman, the third Ultraman series. Save, of course, the character Hideki Go, who was, in fact, the human alter ego of Ultraman Jack. Now, what role, if any, this Ursatz MAT will have in the series going forward, that's anyone's guess right now after issue 3. But I have to doubt that this was just simply a reference. Why else go to this length to introduce the MAT if you don't intend to use them? The art continues to be strong. At this point, this team has handled eight issues of the strip, and they're well within their stride. The highlight art-wise this time out is the Milan sequence, which is captured on the video camera of some dunderheaded guy trying to capture the kaiju attack, only to end up himself being saved by Ultraman. And even though he only makes a cameo, fan-favorite Ultra Kaiju Gomera, always welcome. And I wish we could have seen more of him other than just uh, basically he appears in like two or three panels. Everybody loves Gomera, you know, that that's all I'm going to say. We talked about it back when we did um, his Monster Highness. You know, he's a very popular monster for a reason. So great to see Gomera pop up here. Issue three of Trials of Ultraman, it raises the stakes. Uh, with promising new characters introduced, the big bad revealed, and another major threat debuting. The series is moving along at a good pace. Clearly a better read all in one sitting like we are doing here. Uh, because I can say, I for one, I'm eager to read the next part. And said next part is Trials of Ultraman 4, cover dated September 2021, with a release date of July 7th, 2021. Uh, our cover is once again by Art Adams, and it depicts a human-sized Ultraman surrounded by a mob of angry-looking Nakaido supporters. Given the story this time out, it's an appropriate cover, but I do have to say it's not one of the best ones we've had either in this series or the previous one. Our creative team is the exact same folks who run the last one. So, again, the team is uh, stable throughout the series. And our synopsis goes a little something like this. At Kato's HQ, the USP and Kato's team discuss what can be done with the information they have about Professor Nikaido. The decision is made for the USP to consider their various alternatives. Kato's team laments that it is not them handling the situation, noting that they will need to get ready as fast as they can. Later, Shin is driving Dan to Dan's old house, but in the interim, the house has been redeveloped into apartments. Shin then gets a call from USP director Ichinotani, who angrily informs Shin that his father has sent an email to the media revealing his identity as Ultraman. The USP handled it, intercepting the message, but Shin is warned to take care of the situation. Dan offers a sympathetic ear to Shin, telling him that as long as he has a friend who will support him and always tell him the truth, he can handle anything. USP puts together a plan to attend the summit quietly, with Muramatsu and Fuji on the ground incognito, and Shin in the jet VTOL with Ide. Professor Nikaido reveals the USP's presence there, and his followers threaten the two agents. Ultraman again states that he cannot get involved in a human war because of the consequences, while Shin argues that inaction will have terrible consequences all its own. Shin and Ultraman agree that Shin himself should intervene, and he parachutes out of the jet VTOL. Professor Nikaido calls off his followers, saying that a simple death is not grand enough for the USP, just as Jiris bursts forth from the ice. With the situation changed, Shin changes to Ultraman and immediately engages Jiris. Using guidance from Ide, 
Ultraman stabs Jairus between the shoulder blades with an icy spire, causing a massive blast of energy from the artificial monster's power source. The energy seems to cause a nearby volcano to erupt, only there is no active volcanoes in the area. In fact, there's no volcanoes at all. The eruption is caused by the kaiju Zumbalar, the walking inferno. To be concluded. Now, befitting the penultimate issue, we are full speed ahead to the finale this time out. The stage is set for the big blow-off. Right out of the bat, first page of this issue, we get a great joke. As Shin calls Jiris' design derivative, playing on the monster's, well, let's just say, distinct shape. This also leads into another development, with Kado's team discussing, in very vague terms, that they should be the ones responding to this threat, building more on the fact that these characters made up the MAT in Return of Ultraman. While their appearance last issue could be taken as a reference or a gag, here it seems to be clearly setting something up for the next story, whatever that story is. Now, Mr. Hayata attempting to go public with Shin's secret identity is another plot element which seems destined to be picked up in a later series, as there does not seem to be enough time here to really address it. I liked the character moments between Shin and Dan which come from this scene, both with Dan as the man out of time and Shin and Dan as inadvertent colleagues, since they are the only ones on Earth who can really understand each other's situations when it comes to the Ultra. While Ultraman and Ultra 7 did not really interact much back in the day thanks to the formats of their shows, it works well to have Shin and Dan relate to each other here in this comic's continuity. Now, Nikaido's rally is the main focal point of the issue, rightly so, as it appears to be the location of the climax of the story. Now, the so-called true believers present represent an interesting cross-section of radicalized folks. There's a telling snippet of conversation where one attendee claims that this would have been a great trip even without the coming revelations, while their colleague responds that they had to take out a loan to be here to witness history. Nikaido's speech similarly should ring familiar to most folks here in 2023, with him calling the assembled his, quote, faithful, and then praising them for not accepting the, quote, lies that they have been told. Nikaido then goes on to stoke their anger at the USP, right before revealing Muramatsu and Fuji's presence among them. Now, Nikaido's radicalized speech I thought is juxtaposed nicely with Shin and Ultraman's ethical debate about whether Ultraman can fight humans. Now, as an alien, Ultraman naturally has a different perspective than Shin, and I really liked how both sides were heard in this discussion. It's not simply that Ultraman is right and Shin is selfish. Nor is it simply that Shin is right and Ultraman is aloof. Both heroes make valid points, and that makes their argument a pretty thoughtful one. Shin's decision to go into action as himself, and then Ultraman stepping in when Jiris is revealed, further cements both of them, both Ultraman and Shin, as brave and heroic, which is exactly what we would expect from an Ultraman property. At least that's what I would expect from an Ultraman property. The clash between Ultraman and Jiris, and then the unexpected arrival of Zumbalar, are sharply rendered by Mana and Grundigern. At this point, that is just expected from this art team. But I must admit, as a monster fanboy, anytime the monsters can be set loose, that's a high point in a monster comic book. Now, Jiris certainly looks like Godzilla in his general shape, but I do have to give the art team credit. They do a solid job of making him look a little less like Godzilla than he really could have looked, all things considered. Zumbalar only appears in two panels, but the coloring looks fantastic on him, with the glowing orange-red of his horn and spines really popping off the page. Best shot of the comic is a full-page splash of Ultraman crashing down onto Jiris with a right hand, with a massive kakoom sound effect to complete the scene. Now the fourth issue gets everything set up for what we can only assume is the big fight at the end next time out, but still has some well-executed character moments amidst all this action. Things are boiling now, and as a reader, I'm champing out a bit to see how it ends. So why don't we go and see how it ends? Trials of Ultraman 5 was cover dated October 2021, with the release date of August 4th, 2021. Our cover is again by Art Adams, and it depicts Ultraman atop a crumbling piece of glacier, poised to fire his specium beam while a volcano explodes behind him, sending lava streaking down its sides. I will go on record right now that this cover is 100% heavy metal and would make a fantastic poster. Marvel, solicit this poster, and I will buy it. I don't know where I'm going to hang it. I don't know how I'm going to find a spot for it, 
but I'll buy it. That's how friggin' cool this cover is. This is beautiful. Great job by Art Adams here. Our creative team, once again, it's the same team that we've had the entire time, so you, you know who they are. Our synopsis for the finale goes like this. In Iceland, the artificial kaiju Jiris attacks Zumbalar, looking to prove that the other kaiju is a USP creation. Stuck in the middle is Ultraman, trying to keep the assembled group of onlookers safe. From the VTOL, Ide tells Ultraman that Jiris is not a robot, but a mecha, and thus has a pilot inside. Ide also tells Fuji that USP Intel indicates that Zumbalar first appeared over 1,000 years ago when the first settlers of Iceland cut down nearly all of the island's trees. This leads Fuji to surmise that it was destructive technology, the artificial Jiris, which reawoke the volcanic monster. Fuji advises Ultraman to take out Jiris first, despite it appearing to be the weaker enemy. Ultraman destroys the cockpit on Jiris and rips at its power supply. Zumbalar is placated by this, and sinks under the sea as Ultraman tosses the unstable core into the air, where it explodes harmlessly. Despite all the evidence, the assembled followers remain unconvinced, simply suggesting that USPs used some other method to fake the kaiju, perhaps bioengineering. Muramatsu tells Fuji that it's okay, as Ultraman flies off into the sky. Back at USPHQ, the team laments that a good portion of the public still distrusts them, but Muramatsu reassures the team that they need to keep fighting the good fight, whether they are trusted or not. Back at his father's house, Shin confronts his father, saying that he understands why his dad does not trust him with this power, and it all relates to an incident when Shin was 13, which led to the death of Shin's brother, Jiro. Shin finally states that he cannot stop his father from revealing his identity, but doesn't think he will, because deep down, Shin suspects his father still loves him. Later, Ultraman and Shin bond over having both lost a brother, with Ultraman telling Shin that having experienced trauma is not a sign of weakness, and that confronting pain is necessary to grow. The conversation is interrupted by the arrival of Dan Moriboshi, who apologizes to Shin, before draining off Ultraman's essence and absorbing it, transforming into Ultra 7, to be continued in the mystery of Ultra 7. Well, that did not end the way I expected it would. For the main thrust of the issue, the battle with Jiris and the fallout thereof, I figured we were in store for a straight-up big fight at the end. And we did get that in the front half. The fight's well executed from both a narrative and artistic perspective. There's also a really good gag on the first page again, where we see the, the, the HUD, the head-up display for Jiris, and the pilot is listed as H. Nakajima. A clear nod to Haru Nakajima, the legendary Japanese suit actor, who did in fact play Jiris and Ultraman. We also get uh, my favorite image from the issue, maybe unsurprising, a two-page spread of Zumbalar attacking Jiris, while Ultraman's arm is tangled up in Zumbalar's tail. Straight up Daikaiju action right there. Now the fallout from the battle with Nikaido's faithful proving themselves worthy of that name it's in line with the overarching themes of this series, like my thoughts about Nikaido's speech in the previous issue, should be familiar to most readers here in 2023. Even when presented with facts, the true believers simply dismiss them as fake or otherwise invalid. It's used to good effect here. It would have come off as a pat ending to have the onlookers turn on Nikaido. You know, in this way, the distrusting public continue to be a story element that's used in the future. The fallout continues as Shin goes back to talk with his father. The revelation about Shin's brother does explain the hostility, and why his dad does not approve of Shin having the power of Ultraman. Again, one has to assume this will come back to play a role in the future. And it also leads into the very well-done sequence with Shin and Ultraman continuing to come to an understanding about each other, their common ground about having lost a brother. As an aside, the name Jiro didn't bring anything up when I searched it on the uh, Ultra... .fandom.com site. There was a few characters named Jiro and a couple of crew or cast uh, with the name of Jiro, but nothing that I saw that could relate to the character of Shin Hayata or to being a younger brother or anything like that. So it may that may not be a reference. It may just be a new character that's been introduced. Of course, all of this leads up to the big twist ending, which I have to say, upon my first reading of the series, I had no idea was coming. Marvel had not announced, or at least I had not seen any announcements, about the mystery of Ultra 7 when I read that issue. 
So Dan absorbing Ultraman's energy and transforming into Ultra 7 came as a complete and utter shock to me. Clearly Dan is tired of just sitting around USP waiting for answers. Now as I am recording this, I just received this week in the mail the last issue of Mystery of Ultra 7 from, as I said, I mentioned earlier in the episode, DCBS, DCBService.com, who's my mail order comics provider. So I have no idea where the story is going from here because I've waited to get the entire series before I started reading Mystery uh, of Ultra 7. Although I am assuming that at least some of the mysteries introduced in this series are going to be the drivers in that series. Uh, now, the slam-bang twist ending here really ends the series on a high note. Left me eager for the next story. You know, that's one of those things. You can end your story well. You can stick that landing. That leaves a good taste in your consumer's mouth. And that's certainly the case here in uh, with this issue. Now, as a wrap-up of the whole series, I thought issue 5 did a great job on all fronts. It blows off the main conflict in a, a big fight. It addresses the fallout for both the USP and then the fallout personally for Shin. And then ends with a heck of a surprise, which leaves us anticipating the future. That is how you finish a book, right there. On the whole, I really enjoyed Trials of Ultraman. Not being saddled with the need to establish the world or even the concepts of Ultras and Kaiju, as I said earlier, you know, which Rise of Ultraman was required to do, it allows this series to start in a higher gear and hit the ground running. The action quotient's very high overall, the art is solid throughout, and the characters are really quite compelling. The story feels modern, but without being what I would call modernist. You know, it's got some fun humorous bits and references sprinkled in and out, but it's not overdone. It's not trying too hard, which is a feeling I get from a lot of Marvel modern comics. I don't know how long Marvel will hold this license, but as long as they make well-constructed series like this, I'm good with this fresh take on the classic hero. Now, if you would like to read Trials of Ultraman, the collected edition is available for purchase through pretty much anywhere you can get a book, including Amazon. The series is also available digitally on Comixology, which of course is owned by Amazon, uh, but you have to read it in the Comixology app, it's a whole thing. Um, and you can also read the series for free, as I said, with the Hoopla app, so long as your local library is part of their system. Um, you know, First off, I think you should probably have a library card anyway, right, if you've got a public library in your area, because libraries are awesome. I think we can all agree with that. Uh, but if you go to your library, talk to the librarians and ask them if they're on the Hoopla network, they will know... Um, one way or the other, and they can get you set up. There is another library service, which is Overdrive, I think, and my wife uses that. I've never used that one, so I don't have a lot of information on it. I've always been very satisfied with Hoopla, so I'm, I mean, they get my endorsement for whatever that's worth. I don't, I don't know that they ask for it, but, but they do get it. Um, so it is out there to check out, and, uh, you know, so please go, go check it out. This sounds interesting. And so now, now I throw it to you, the listeners. Have you read Trials of Ultraman? Do you enjoy the current Marvel Comics take on Ultraman, or does it leave you wanting? Um, you know, did you like this one better than Rise? Did you like Rise better? Are you looking forward to Mysteries of Ultra 7? Write in, Earth Destruction Directive at Yahoo.com. We can talk about it here on the show. All right, folks, that's all I've got for the Trials of Ultraman. I'm going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to close out the show right here on Earth Destruction Directive. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren of the Rad Adventures Network. We're a married couple who enjoy great stories of all kinds, including adventures, mysteries, science fiction, and fantasy. Please join us for a variety of podcasts focused on a range of pop culture topics. Trekker Talk is about 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the comic Trekker by writer and artist Ron Randall. It's a blend of classic sci-fi adventures and noir mysteries set in a retro future. Xenozoic Xenophiles is about the comic Xenozoic Tales by writer and artist Mark Schultz. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Warlord Worlds covers the many comics of writer and artist Mike Grell, including The Warlord, John Sable, Green Arrow, and The Legion of Superheroes. Sensational Sluice, where we talk about favorite mystery novels, movies, and TV shows. Fantastic Fantasies, where we share our favorite fantasy films and books. And Amazing Adventures, where we discuss action-packed adventure stories. 
Listen on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit RadAdventuresNetwork.com to find all of our shows and links to our social media pages. That's Rad, R-A-D, which is short for Ruth and Darren. All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. And I held my hand a little bit of listener feedback. If you would like to get in touch with the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. Just listen to the outro to the show, and you'll get all the information there. So our email comes from my good friend Billy D, a.k.a. Doc Strange. And Billy D writes within the subject, episode 113, feedback. And Billy writes, hey Luke, another fun episode. Gorath sounds like a fun sci-fi flick, and I have honestly haven't seen many of Toho films from that genre. I get why they thought inserting a monster might help make more money, but it sounds like the film could stand on its own without it. Billy, I agree. Maguma adds very little to the film. I like the idea of just simply Gorath on its own being the threat. So I'm there with you. Uh, Billy continues, sad news about Jason David Frank. I was never into Power Rangers, but anytime you see something like that happen, it's a sad day. Mental health is something the U.S. still struggles with, and the stigma that goes along with it. Hopefully one day, soon, we'll be able to say, that's not true anymore. Take care and Merry Christmas, Billy D. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, if, if any good thing has come out of this, and I don't know that anything has, it, it's that discussion, right? I felt the same way when Chris Cornell died. You know, I felt the same way about it. It's like, you know, if you know someone has a problem, how do we not give them the help they need? I don't know the details. You know, I've read different things about, uh, you know, about JDF's death. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just some guy. I don't, I don't know, you know. But it just seems like we can take care of each other better than we do. And I, I mean that in general, right? I mean, I, I always try to be a positive message here on our Destruction Directive. And, you know, if, if we can take care of each other, even in our own little circle, if we can help each other out, maybe we can, you know, make a positive change and do something better for the world and for everyone else. I mean, and, and I, I don't want to get too, uh, too into this or too into the weeds here, but isn't that what, what like Power Rangers is, right? Is using teamwork and working together to make the world a better place. And if it's something as simple as checking in on our friends and making sure they're okay, and if they have a problem knowing that they can come to you, isn't that making the world a better place and using teamwork? So, you know, hey, again, I, I don't want to get into it, but I don't want to, you know, take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the people you care about. Be kind. It, it costs you nothing to be kind to people, you know? It takes a lot more work to be a jerk than it does just to be kind and treat people with respect and be polite and, you know, maybe give somebody a hand every now and again. Billy, thank you very much for writing in. I really do appreciate it. Um, Billy is a, uh, a really, really uh, cool cat. He uh, he runs a couple of different podcasts, including Magazines and Monsters. And uh, he's got a Bob Haney show, which uh, I think might be worth checking out. And not just because he asked me to be on it, but Bob Haney, Brave and the Bold. That's all I'm saying right there. So uh, I do have a couple more emails. I'm going to hold on to those. I think this episode is running a, a little bit long, and I do want to keep some in reserve. Uh, but please, I love everybody getting sending an email. So if you have some email on any episode, it doesn't have to be this one, any episode in the past you want to send an email in, artdestructiondirective at yow.com. I, um, any podcaster will tell you that they love getting feedback, and I am no different. So also want to talk about our social media love, our likes, shares, retweets, thumbs ups, whatever you want uh, from the last episode. And that came in from Nathan Marchand, Jimmy from NASA. Together, they are the Monster Island Film Vault, the Crystal Lady Jessica, the Henshin Men Podcast, the Two Man Power Trip Podcast. It's really the Power Trip Podcast, but I call it the Two Man Power Trip Podcast. History of Comics on Film, which is Derek W.C. from the Fan Holes. Two True Freaks, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us. Uh, Matt Anderson, Michael Alexander McCarthy, The Telltale Mind, Bro Rad, my brother Jason Giaconetti, John Vanover, the aforementioned Billy D, Doc Strange from Magazines and Monsters, Brian Severe, and Mac McClintock. Thank you, everyone, for the social media engagement. You know, it does a lot for the show, helps get the word out there. You know, uh, and, and again, I, I've always said, as these fan podcasts are a labor of love, 
So any type of social media like that really helps get the word out and is very much appreciated. I'd also like to take this time to say that Earth Destruction Directive is for everyone. If you are interested in Japanese giant monsters, or in the case of this episode, Japanese giant heroes, you are welcome to be a part of this show to whatever level you feel comfortable. I'm not here to... Uh, I, I come not to bury Daikaiju, I come to praise Daikaiju. So if you want to be part of the show, you want to interact, you want to send an email, you want to um, you know, comment on YouTube or whatever, you are more than welcome to do that. All are welcome at Earth Destruction Directive. So as we reach the end of another episode, we, of course, must always look forward. And so we, we're going to change gears again. I like to change gears, and that's kind of my thing even though I drive an automatic. Um, so we are going to be covering a video game, and a very recent video game, which is kind of unusual for me. We're going to be taking a look at Dawn of the Monsters, which is a, a, a beat-em-up style, like, brawler video game featuring, that's right, giant monsters. And I got this for my Nintendo Switch through limited run games, and I have not played this. I've, I've looked through the manual, and I've seen lots of stuff about it, and I know some other of my uh, fellow Daikaiju podcasters have, have covered this game a bit more and maybe done some live streaming, uh, but I am going to be digging into this game, and I'm very eager to give it a shot. Uh, it is kind of a retro game. I know WayForward Studios, who did lots of great retro-style games back in the GBA era, uh, was the publisher, and I'm, like I said, very much looking forward to playing this, so please come back next time. We're going to be taking a look at that. Um, you know, hey, and if anybody has any pre-feedback they want to send about Dawn of the Monsters, go ahead and send it in. I'll, I'll mix that into the show. Like I said, I'm, I'm very excited to get started with the game. I, I'm, I'm a below average modern video game player. I'm much better at retro gaming. I, I can play, I have a Genesis compilation on my, uh, on my Switch. I'm great at it. I mean, you know, my kids were astounded as I'm like blowing through Golden Axe and Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm like, yeah, okay, guys, this this is kind of my wheelhouse. But I get some of these modern games, it's, it's too many buttons, you know. I guess I'm just old, but, you know, I've, I've been called worse. So, anyway, hope everyone enjoyed this episode, taking a look at the Trials of Ultraman. And I hope everyone will come back next episode when we sit down and play Dawn of the Monsters. And until then, keep them stomping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you would like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I try to respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I will read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at 2TrueFreaks.com. You can also find the show on your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave a review on your podcatcher of choice if you'd like. You can find me on Facebook. Just search for first name Luke, last name EDD. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter. Just search for the handle at LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. The theme song for this podcast is Future Gladiator by Kevin McLeod downloaded from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun here on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF <laughs> moment if I ever saw one.